Hello, Ambush, and welcome. Welcome to this week's episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast. Here with me, the host of the DTP, Colton G. And this week on the show, I'm joined by Canadian rock icon, Kim Mitchell. We're going to be talking about his new song, Wishes. And we're going to be going behind the music on Wishes with you, getting you some of the details of the song with Kim here today. We're also going to be taking a little bit of a dive into an upcoming album that Kim has coming out soon. His first in 13 years. That album is called The Big Fantasize, and it sees him teaming up with a former bandmate in Greg Wells. We're going to go behind the scenes and see what that was like for Kim. Plus, we know some of you guys have been longtime Kim Mitchell fans, so we're going to be diving into a bit of the past as well. The Grease trip that he took as a young man before coming back to Canada and starting Max Webster. What did that trip mean to Kim himself? We're going to dive into his classic guitar tone, a little bit of the end of Max Webster, and exactly what was the processes that Kim went through before starting his solo career. We're going to talk about some of his songwriting partnerships, specifically the one with Pi Dubois. Why does Kim feel that those lyrics were able to connect with so many individuals? Exactly. We're going to find that out. We're also going to be talking about his decision to recut a classic Max Webster song in Diamond Diamonds with the likes of the Bare Naked Ladies. We're also going to talk about that time that David Lee Roth almost covered one of Kim's songs. And of course, like I said, we're diving into that new song, Wishes, which we're going to be playing for you right away. A song that Kim was inspired by reading a poem while at a doctor's office in the waiting room. But I'm going to let Kim tell you more about that right away. So I just need to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by ILoveDTP.com because that's where you go to pick up Desert Tiger merch to rep the show everywhere you go. ILoveDTP.com with two new designs on the way very, very soon. And with that being said, all right, this is Wishes. Side. 
skies overhead A tiny shack white curtain on my seal of flower Desert Tiger Podcast. Hello, Kim speaking. Hello, Kim. This is Colton with the Desert Tiger Podcast. Hey, man. How are you doing? I am fantastic. And how are you doing today? Good. I'm good. I'm good. So far, you know, I think I'm, uh, I'm okay. I appreciate, no appreciate the coverage. Hey, I appreciate speaking with uh, an icon in Canadiana, such as yourself. <laughs> well, you should talk to my friends, man. They don't, they don't, they, the last word they'd use would be an icon. But, uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, from my position as someone who is pretty much raised on a lot of your music, I, I would use those words for sure. <laughs> thank you. That's nice, Colt. Thank you. All right. So yeah. I want to start with a little bit of the beginnings of your musical journey, some of the Max Webster experiences. So from what I've read, I, 
you played in some bands and then ended up going to the Greek islands before returning back to Canada, taking guitar lessons, and starting Max Webster. So I want to know what made you decide to go to the Greek islands and what during that process, or was it something that you had in mind already, made you decide to come back to Canada and go back at the music industry with a little bit more of an intensity? Well, uh, okay, so what took me to the Greek islands was I was about, I had lived in Toronto briefly with a band and we broke up and everybody moved back to their hometown, which was my hometown. It was called Sarnia, Ontario. It's a town southwest of Toronto, Canada. And um, it was a small little town. It was a border town uh, across from Port Yarn, Michigan, which was about 40 minutes from Detroit. So uh, I was getting kind of ready, kind of out of work and thinking, oh, what am I going to do next? I thought maybe I'll go back to school. And a buddy of mine called me, not a buddy of mine, he's sort of a, 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 an acquaintance of a buddy of mine. He was an organist. And he called me and he said, hey, uh, do, you want, do you want to go on the road with a show band? And I was like, what's a show band? I've never heard of a show band. He goes, well, it's a guy and a girl singer. And uh, we're, we're part of the band back up and we play Monday to Friday in bars and supper clubs and we do a show thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, sure. And he, and he says it pays 150 bucks a week. I said, okay, I'm down. So we went out and did that. And the singer, the lead singer of that show band was this Greek guy. And his family was building a nightclub on the Isle of Rhodes in Greece. And about a year in, he said, we're, I said, he goes, my parents want us to come over and play at the restaurant nightclub over there for uh, an indefinite amount of time. So do you guys want to come? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, this is great. So it was kind of a paid vacation. We worked seven days a week. But while I was over there, I was practicing a lot of guitar. It was really clean. It was like one of the most beautiful experiences of my life, as you can imagine being on a Greek island and your biggest decision is turn left or turn right. I mean, I have many <laughs> stories of that whole thing, but we'll, we'll just blast through that. And then as a the year was winding up there, I wanted to, I wanted to take guitar lessons and I found a teacher back in Toronto, uh, Canada, and he said he would accept me and we'd be able to start, you know, blah, blah, blah at a certain times. So, I got my butt back to Canada and needed to do something. So I met with a bass player in Windsor, Ontario, which is right across the border from Detroit, uh, Michigan. And we had a jam and he wanted to move to Toronto. So we moved to Toronto and started Max Webster, a band called Max Webster. And that was kind of a little revenue stream for me to take lessons. But my focus was really taking guitar lessons. It wasn't Max Webster at first until Maxwell started to sort of do well and developed a cool sound and we were playing nightclubs and they were getting filled and lineups and and the record contracts start. So that's kind of how all that, that got going. Okay, so... During the Max Webster years, and definitely into your solo career as well, a lot of people would credit you for your very unique guitar sound and just the way that you play. So what exactly would you contribute to that ideal? Was it a set of pedals that you helped achieve this with? Was it a certain tone? Was there a specific tuning that you were using? Was it a combination of these things? 
Okay, you're sort of asking me a musician e nerd question. Is that yeah. am I clear on that day? Okay, yes. okay. Um okay, so yeah, my I didn't use big, big amplifiers. I used two Fender Deluxe reverb amplifiers, which are only twenty two watts each with a single twelve inch speaker in them and they weren't really known for, to be a rock amp and they weren't and I used that with a uh blue striver, just a blue striver and a chorus pedal and that was it. So that was my sound, and I normally played either a Strat, but I really, at the, that point, preferred a Gibson. So I played Gibson 335s and stuff like that, and it wasn't until we opened up for Richie Blackmore, and we were doing some tour, we were doing some touring with him, and in a nightclub one night, he hadn't said boo to me, and all of a sudden we were sitting beside each other in a pub one night, and he turns to me, and the first thing he says to me is, you know what I don't like about you? <laughs> <laughs> I thought he'd say hello at least. Because you know what I don't like about you? I, and I, I looked at him and I went, okay, what don't you like about me? He goes, you play a Gibson. You should be but you should be playing a Strat. So I went out and I bought a Strat as soon as I got home. So. <laughs> and I've been playing Stratocasters ever since. Well, I mean, um, that's a pretty qualified guitarist to take advice from for sure when it comes to what to be playing. Yeah, so I stole his keyboard player. <laughs> Dave Stone and Dave Stone was in our band Max a, a variant of Max Webster a great or rock organ player it was sort of the last version of Max Webster before we broke up yeah so that was that's sort of the sound as far as my style of music and guitar playing I guess it was a, a combination of I'm now taking lessons and I'm practicing a lot and um, I'm incorporating some of what I'm learning into my music along with the fact that I always had the attitude of I want to own my own piece of musical real estate. I don't want to follow a trend. Um, I want to do something that is mine. And because that's, that's what I'm a fan of. I'm a fan of when I hear records that you instantly know that that's that person, that artist, um, male or female. And, and so that's kind of how I thought, I would like the direction I wanted to go hmm. musically. So that's what I would strive for. I'd be like, ooh, no, that's sounding a little too much like this band or that kind of thing. I mean, you sort of write from your heart. You just let it happen. But I think that my stylized thing of writing has got to got formed pretty early on. So at what point during this process did you yourself begin to craft a lot of your own songwriting, like lyrically? Uh, no, not lyrically. I always worked with a lyricist. Okay. Because um, I, I, yeah, I, I ended up working with a lyricist named Pai Dubois, who was a, a friend from my hometown, and I just loved the way he jammed with the English language. And what set, what set our lyrics apart? And I say our lyrics. He, he, you know, he was a lyricist, but there's a lot of editing went on where I had to fit the stuff into music and change this here, change that there. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say that what set the lyrics apart was they weren't stories. They were images. They were images. Um, Acrimony in the September air and I got to be in court at noon. I was just about to uh, have my lunch, but I think she took all my spoons. Uh, I'm buck hungry. All I got is cinnamon, no powder for my pudding green. These are images. All I got is cinnamon, no powder for my pudding green. Yes, I smell. I smell that prime roast beef drifting through my neighbor's screen. Those, that's not a story. Those are images about, 
you know, you can smell the roast beef from the neighbors. You, you know, the the the, put, the green pudding, the you know, just stuff like that. So um, I love the way he used to write like that, and I think that's what set us apart. No, that's really cool because when you mention that, I immediately think of patio lanterns and where the beginning of the song is literally just setting the stage of yeah. this is the environment of what this was. This is exactly what it looked like, and this was the scene. That puts a picture in everyone's mind. You don't need the video. It puts you. Know, you've all had your first kiss and your first dance and your and on a patio, and maybe the patio lanterns are actually the most insignificant part of the song. Um, it really, you know, probably not many did have patio lanterns. As a matter of fact, it, it was probably happening in a basement, in a rec room. But it, it, it's a good, it, it was all nice images in there. You know, when I was stuck on Joy, that was her name. We didn't talk much. You know, we all had those little awkward relationships where you're sitting beside someone you're really fancy, and, and but you're too nervous to <laughs> say anything. You know, so, yeah. Awesome. No, I really enjoy that. So you mentioned the breaking up of Max Webster. So that was about 1981. What was the decision like to go from being under a label of a band to going under the label of your own name? And what was the transition like musically for you as well? Uh, Max Webster, when we let, when we knocked it off, I just went home and wrote. Uh, that's all. I I had no plans to be a solo artist. I just was kind of creatively burned out and wanted to go home and write. Um, the real rush were getting quite famous. We were on the same label. I felt like we were being sort of forgotten in the dust, and rightly so. I mean, the management company, you know, they have a band, you know, doing really well, so th that needs a lot of attention. And, you know, you're, you're sort of like the, the forgotten toy in the corner. So there's all that kind of going on and I went home to write. There's no, as I say, no intention to have a solo career. And then about a year later, I went after writing. I was like, okay, I wrote songs like All We Are and I, I sort of wrote some of the early uh, solo stuff, Misdemeanor and uh, Kids in Action, which was covered by David Lee Roth, but then got bounced off of uh, got bounced off by Tobacco Road. Oh, what? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I got a call from Billy Sheehan, um, and they said, "Hey, man, I'm at the studio with Ted Templeman and David Lee Roth, and we're all here. We're tracking our album, the first the first solo record, David Lee Roth." And he goes, "We're cutting Kids in Action, your song Kids in Action, because I love the song so much, and we love it." So it says, "Can you give us the lyrics to the second verse?" And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm kind of in disbelief that this is actually a phone call happening. And so I give him the lyrics, the second verse, and that's the end of it that I hear. And then uh, I was told that the song last minute got bumped. They needed a cover tune. They wanted to have a cover tune. So they bumped off my song for Tobacco Road. And, you know, you kind of always wonder whether it happened even. And it wasn't until, I'm going to say, maybe five, six years ago, Billy Sheehan goes, see, I wanted to prove to you always one day, even though, you know, Roth has the tapes and everything, that, that it actually happened. And he sent me a picture of the track sheet. Like, there it was, Kids in Action, uh, hmm. you know, and, and the track sheet, you know, it was Vi's guitar and the drums and all that stuff and the tra uh, scratch vocal. I was, I was like, wow, okay, it actually did happen. Hmm. be nice to hear it one day, but I don't think I ever would. Getting back, I, I thought, 
I'll just, I'll join a band, you know, after a year. And I put the word out. It's like, hey, anybody want a guitar player in their band? And I didn't get any phone calls. So I thought, okay, well, I guess I'll start a band. And that's when I started my solo career. Huh. So you take a year off and then you release an EP, you test the water a little bit, and then suddenly you release your first actual album, Akimbo Alago, and the first, the t- like the first track off the album right away gains traction and steam and becomes one of your biggest tracks. So what was it like going from taking time off to all of a sudden right way being right back in the middle of it right at the forefront well when we did a kimball logo you're, you're just your heads are down you're making a record and we made that record with a guy named mick bologna mick bologna and uh, he actually he just uh he passed away a little while ago but he did some deep purple albums so he was a real good rock engineer and we we're we we're having a really nice time recording that you you don't know when you're making songs like go for soda or all we are and all that stuff you know you know idea you're just making music you're trying to make make it to point where you love it and when it came out it just started to do really well it it got traction in america and in europe and i was like whoa okay this is cool and yeah life didn't change a whole lot it just audiences got a bit bigger we did bigger gigs and um that's it. It's sort of the, the, the feeling of being on stage and connecting with the band members was always what was important to me and transmitting an, a musical energy to an audience. And beyond that, wherever you are on the spectrum of airplay or fame or bank accounts or wherever you are, isn't, I mean, yeah, we are, we're in a business and there's bottom lines and all that stuff, but it, it wasn't, I never lost sleep over any of that ever when it was bad or when it was good or when it was average or when the bottom fell out. It's, it's all about being a musician and, and enjoying playing with people and, and playing for people. Absolutely. For sure. Make the most of the moment while you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I want to step a little bit into the future, of course, since we only have about 10 minutes less than that now, I'm sure. So you last year you decided to recut Diamonds Diamonds featuring the Bare Naked Ladies. So what goes into a decision like recutting a song and why exact how exactly, I guess, did the Bare Naked Ladies become involved with this track? Well, they they're fans and they do they would often say, hey, well, we do this Max Webster tune in our sound check and stuff like that. So well, I was in the middle of recording my new record, The Big Fantasize, and I thought of doing a redo and doing a collaboration because I think, I don't think collaborations in Canada go on enough. Mm-hmm. And I know they go on all the time in the pop world and in the hip hop world, but sort of between rock bands, it wasn't, it doesn't happen a lot. And I thought, hey, well, nice collaboration. And I thought, Let's do a collaboration with somebody. And I thought of Bare Naked Ladies because I knew they were fans. I thought, well, that, they're vocally. This could be really nice. And that's just kind of what happened. A few emails and, hey, man, I'm in the middle of doing a record and thinking I'm recutting something. Uh, would you guys be interested? And, and they went, yeah, yeah, we'd be in. What do you, what do you want to do? And it was, it was just kind of like, I don't know, uh, maybe I would all, let's have a nod to like an old classic of mine and, without making it a period piece, how about something like Diamonds, Diamonds? And they're like, sure, man, let's do that. I'm, I'm down. Let's, let's, let's book it. So we did. 
and it came out fun. It was a fun session for Canadians listening. Gord Downey was in the other studio, um, and he paid a visit and had a listen, and that's the last time I saw him before he passed. So. Oh, wow. This must have been just before it happened. Yeah, exactly. We we filmed it, too. Uh, we were filming the whole session, and, and we had we had the visit of Gord in the video and we contacted his family and said, take a look at this. Is this okay? And they were like, totally, totally. It happened very organically. And, you know, he had a listen and he stood up and he kissed us and hugged us all and said goodbye. And then I just, at the last minute before the little video came out with bare naked ladies, I went, take Gord out. They're like, what? what? I'm like, no, I said, I won't take any heat from any trolls out there, you know, with like, oh, you're just trying to gain some traction with, like, no, no, this was a nice moment that happened, so, but I don't want, I don't want people thinking that, so we took, we took it out, so. Mm-hmm. Now, I can understand the decision behind that for sure, not wanting anyone to think that you're trying to capitalize on this moment. Yeah, I mean, normal people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, normal people would go, oh, <clears throat> okay, that's cool. That's, that's a nice moment. It was nice nice to see he just was in the session. He walked in, and he was, he was doing his last record on the other studio. But trolls are just going to troll. And, and I just thought, I don't even have to deal with it. Screw those people. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> screw those people for sure. I love it. I love the energy. All right, so your newest song that released at the end of June, I believe it was the 26th, The Wishes. I read that this is one of the songs that may have taken you the longest amount of time to write, and it comes from a poem. So exactly when did you find this poem, and what has the process of building the song been like? Sure, the song is called Wishes, and uh, thankfully 10 years ago in a waiting room, I didn't pick up Reader's Digest. I picked up a book of poetry that was sitting on a table, and I just opened it up to the middle, and the very first poem I read was Wishes by A.C. Child. I'd never seen the poem, and I read it, and by the end of it, I was kind of filling up, because I just loved the message of, uh, you know, we some of us wish for fame, some of us wish for beauty, some of us wish for riches, but there's other simpler things in life that we can wish for, too, and they bring us just as much satisfaction, and those are the things that you hopefully get before you die. And... I just love the message. I thought, I'm going to have to write a song around this. But, so I did, got the book, and I wrote the tune, but I had the verses, and I knew something, now that it's in a song, something's not complete. The poem is complete, but as a song now, it's like there's something missing. There's a refrain missing, a chorus. There's a little musical deviation, a little bridge or solo section is missing. And that the whole process took me about 10 years to find the right thing that sounded like it fit. Everything I tried over the years, and I'm not saying I worked on it every day. I just worked on it six months here, three months. I'd pick it up and do a bit of work on it and realize right away, no, that's not going to work. No, that's not going to work. But I still knew some, something felt awkward about the song, and it wasn't until five, six months ago I was playing it, got to the awkward part, and I just stopped playing the guitar, and I kept singing a little melody, and all of a sudden I went, oh. It was like this. I always tell people, it was like the song went, yes. Yes, more of that, more of that. That's the direction you're finally on. You're finally on to it. We're going we're gonna to get this now. We're going to get it. And in a couple hours, it was done, and it just everything felt like it flowed, and it all belonged. So, you know, sadly, it took 10 years, but thankfully, at the end of it all, I went, 
I'm really happy with this song, and I, I hope people who hear it enjoy it. And it seems for a song that was start started being written ten years ago, it sure has a wonderful message today. Mm-hmm. Definitely, for sure. If the song was the driver, you were just the vehicle. I guess you're trying to say. Well, I was more the conduit. I always find that these 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 things are floating around up in the universe, and they pick somebody to go. Okay, you're going to bring me to life. I know Bob Dylan looks at it that way. Yeah, he kind of looks at it like, now these songs come to us and we don't really write them. Very true. Very true. So I'll ask you one more question before I let you go today, Kim. Thank you so much for your time. I very, very much have enjoyed it. Thank you, Sean. Nice to hang. My last question here is this new album, The Big Fantasize, has brought you back together with Greg Wells, someone who once played with you as a studio musician, as a live musician, as he was first earning his stripes inside of the music industry, and now he's gained himself quite a big reputation. What was it like reconnecting with Greg for this new album? Uh, it was mind-blowing, actually. Um, Greg's always been a fan and, and, and always looked back at his time with me as, as a great moment. So I was happy about that. He visited me uh, a few years ago at my house because uh, I live close to the airport in Toronto, and he um, he was on his way back to Los Angeles. And I gave him a USB key with the demos on it. I've been writing for since the last record, and I said, "Greg, you know, man, I know you're a busy cat. You're successful. If you have a moment at any time." plug this USB key and listen to a song, maybe give me a fee- give me some feedback on my songwriting or you do this different or whatever, you know, or if you don't get to it, don't worry, man. It's like, Hey, I know you're busy. Like, you know, good hang, good visit. And two weeks later, he emailed me and went, man, your fans really need to hear this. Um, this is a side of you that, that you have touched on, but we should really explore and exploit and, and he says, please, please come to Los Angeles and let's record this. Let me produce it. I'm like, huh? Really? Okay. Because he's a Grammy Award winning dude now. And I'm like, okay. So um, off we went. And I financed it myself as we have to now these days. And um, so, yeah. And I'm really proud of it. I, I could, because of Greg's studio, because of his chops, because of his musicianship, because of his 20 years experience in Los Angeles, I knew that I'd be able to just drop my shoulders and perform. I didn't have to worry about the sonics, about how the mixes would sound. Right away, it was inspiring to play to. So. Fantastic. I have to go. I have to go. My other All one's right. calling me. No worries. That's fair. Thank you so very much. <laughs> Bye. And that was my conversation with the legendary Kim Mitchell. And I'm extremely thankful that Kim was able to join us here on the DTP today. Talk a little bit about his journey and his new upcoming album, The Big Fantasize, and the lead single off that album, Wishes. You heard that song at the top of this episode. Now, now you can go ahead and purchase it wherever it is you buy music, or you can stream it. Yes, you can stream it in your favorite music streaming service. And when you're there, go ahead and hit follow so that when the big fantasize drops, it's in your hands. A-S-A-P. I also have to go ahead and thank Eric Alper 
we're going ahead and setting up the interview today you guys know we got mad love for ea and of course last but not least we need to go ahead and thank you the ambush here at desert tiger for joining us here once again for tuning in if you're new Maybe you want to join the ambush by hitting the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast listening app. Maybe you want to give the show a five-star review. That would be fantastic. It would help us grow so much. Other ways you can help us grow. Well, you can take a snapshot of this episode. You can share this episode on your social media with your family, with your friends. Tag the Desert Tiger podcast, Kim Mitchell, and me, the Colton G when you do so, so we can show you some love. You can also support the show by checking out the merch at ilovedtp.com. All right, you guys, next week on the show, I am joined by R&B slash pop artist Rosh Grove as we talk about his transition from the rap world growing into his new persona. It's going to be an exciting journey. I can't wait for all of us to put our paws in the sand with that next week but until then stay beautiful stay happy healthy hungry go out there achieve your dreams find your mountain climb to the top so that your voice can carry out across the canyon in all of its beautiful glory and until next week bye bye